With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. It's been a long road. Getting from there to here. It's been a long time. My time is finally here But I can feel the change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way And I'm not gonna hold me down no more No, I'm not gonna hold me down Cause I've got faith of the heart Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I am so happy to be here tonight because last week I was ill and now not. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm very, very happy to uh, see people are joining us tonight. Uh, If you are looking for tonight's PDF, which is uh, Back to Basics, Neuroscience Made Easy, uh, please go to my website, uh, drjessarmine.com, D-R-J-E-S-S-A-R-M-I-N-E.com. Uh, click on our weekly radio show. You'll see a little symbol there that's uh, red and white. It says PDF. Click on that, and you'll be able to download the PDF for tonight's show. And uh, while you guys are doing that, our herbalist, Megan, is on the line. And, Meg, what do you have for us this week? Hi, I wanted to talk about peppermint oil. Are you there? Go for it, kid. Oh, good. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, so recently I've been looking at different mints, and one that's an old standby for a lot of people is peppermint. Some people cannot tolerate using it internally, so I wanted to talk a teeny bit about that when I'm done. But it's great in general for opening the sinuses and the bronchial pathways when you're sick from the menthol. Um, It's used to treat nausea. It's also antispasmodic for cramping um, and upset stomach. So one way that peppermint works is it calms the muscles of the stomach and and it improves um, the flow of bile, which the body uses to digest fat. So it also helps with bloating from SIBO and IBS, and it reduces spasms, which can be really, really nice. 
it also helps with headaches, um, tension headaches. Now, the one thing I did want to talk about, and a lot of people use it topically for, you know, poison oak, poison ivy, things like that. In a salve, um, you never use it straight. You always make sure you have it mixed in with something else because it's super strong. But if people have a reaction, um, a gastrointestinal reaction to peppermint, um, one thing is that it's antimicrobial. So if you have any issues there, it might be causing a little bit of a die-off reaction. Um, and if you have GERDs or a hiatal hernia, um, because this is antispasmodic, it relaxes the cardiac sphincter, which is not a good thing for people um, that have those issues. So they don't want to use peppermint. But everybody else can. And there's been studies out there that showed for approximately 77% of the people studied um, across 10 different studies, um, peppermint really helped a lot with SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So I thought I would let people know about it. Excellent, excellent. I love every week that you give us um, a little snippet to start thinking about because <laughs> I started using a lot of... Um, lot of these things in my practice and I'm really surprised, you know, not knowing that much about it to begin with, uh, how powerful um, the herbs and the oils are. So, they are. Just let you know, people out there only use about three drops per half glass of water, maximum three times a day if you're ingesting it. So don't go, don't go crazy with your peppermint. It's a very strong herb, but it's a really good one too. Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks a lot for your weekly tip. I appreciate it, kid. Take care now. Thank you. I can't wait to hear the show. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, people, um, hopefully you've gotten the PDF. Uh, everybody knows why I uh, use the uh, theme for the Enterprise, for Star Trek Enterprises, our entry, because I really do believe that all of you with chronic illnesses have faith of the heart and the faith to believe that we can overcome this, okay? And you have you are stronger than most people that I meet. And uh, one of the ways of <clears throat> tapping into that strength is to give you good information, okay? Is to empower you that way. So this week we're going to talk about neuroscience. What is neuroscience? Okay, neuroscience basically is a scientific study of the nervous system. But the definition has broadened to include different approaches uh, used to study the molecular, cellular, developmental, structural, functional, evolutionary, computational, and medical aspects of the nervous system. Okay, it's really gotten <clears throat> it's really gotten big. Uh, the purpose of this lecture is to give the listener relevant information in neurophysiology and the relationship between behaviors and neurotransmitter imbalances. Honestly, this is a small glimmer into a very vast subject. So um, sorry about that because we only have an hour, okay? So why should we go back to the basics, okay? Uh, and this, I believe, to be a salient point and a really important point. I think we've gotten ourselves confused, okay? And you've heard me say this in different ways, so uh, bear with me a moment, okay? How are we confused? Well... We listen to our healthcare providers of any ilk. Our healthcare providers tend to think in the terms of diagnoses, uh, which is the end result of things, the downstream effects. And remember that the definition of a diagnosis is 
an estimate of the root cause of a problem. Syndromes are not diagnoses. Fibromyalgic syndrome is not a diagnosis. Uh, anything with the word syndrome in it is not a diagnosis. Uh, or it may be something like autism, autism spectrum disorder, okay, ASD. That means that there's many, 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 many things that can cause this kind of expression. <clears throat> but we're ten, we're ten, we tend to think in at the end result instead of the process. From this input we're given that we're given, okay, we hear and say things like, "What do you have for a headache?" Or, or I hear, Whew, "I finally got a diagnosis." Pots. Or very often I hear, "I'm compound heterozygous." Oh my God, what do I do? Okay, then we seek treatment for these downstream effects and never ask the questions, what's the root cause of my headaches? Is POTS, for anybody who doesn't know, that's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, is POTS a standalone diagnosis or is it an effect of something else? Uh, please excuse the grammatical errors. I know my son Jesse will be correcting me very strongly when he reads this. <clears throat> If I have compound heterozygous MTHFR SNPs, what of it? Do they express? If so, is it a lack of cofactors? Is it part of YML? Should it be treated? If so, how it should be treated? You don't just follow algorithms. So really, I think we've been led down the garden path. Algorithms and protocols do not a healthcare system make. When you follow algorithms and you follow protocols, you're presuming that you are treating the proper root cause, otherwise known as the diagnosis. And frankly, it ain't necessarily so. So, I tell you what. I'm thinking that we should perhaps What we're going to do right here is go back, way back, back into time, when the only people that existed were troglodytes, cavemen. Well, we're going to go back, maybe not as far as that, but we'll go back. So <clears throat> I decided to go back. Let's start at the beginning, and we're going to do a series of lectures on anatomical and physiological basics. And in honor of the late Robin Williams, who is one of my heroes, I'm going to start with the nervous system. Understanding basic neuroscience is the key to understand the path of healing. And frankly, it doesn't have to be overly difficult. And armed with this information, you should be empowered and emboldened, and you should be able to demand of your healthcare provider to answer a simple question, why? And remember my prior advice. If you want to get that answer, stand between your healthcare provider and the door and bring a list of questions. Trust me, he'll start breaking sweat in a heartbeat. Okay, and if you start learning this stuff, you may even be awarded the coveted, coveted rank of biochemical warrior. So remember, which, of course, in Klingon means revenge is a dish that is best served cold. I don't know what that has to do with here, but it sounds great. Anyway, if you learn this stuff, they will soon not forget us because do you know that the big push right now 
for people, doctors wanting to learn bioindividualized medicine and genetics and so forth is coming not from us, but from you guys. Okay, I realize I'm having a little bit of fun, but I really do speak Klingon. Okay, but remember, you have power. You have all kinds of power, and we should start using it. Okay, I know I sound like a broken record, but repeat after me. All cell walls are phospholipid bilayers. All cell walls are phospholipid bilayers. I can't emphasize it enough. Your cell wall, okay, which is, as you can see, is a fairly complex um, structure, is basically a phospholipid bilayer. You need phospholipids like phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylethanolamine, stuff like that, in order to repair it and build it. So if we go to page 7, what's the purpose of cell walls? They keep what's supposed to be inside, inside, and they keep what's supposed to be outside, outside. Does it matter that you really know? Yeah, it might, it might but really, that's the purpose of a cell wall. So if you have a hyperpermeable or leaky membrane, they're going to be dysfunctional. And frankly, this is one of the major reasons that you remain ill. And the fact is, if you have a leaky gut, you've heard about it before, you have a leaky brain, leaky mitochondria, and Lord knows what else. The fact is that the cell wall integrity has been ignored big time. And people, healthcare providers, I mean, are not paying attention to the structure of a cell wall and repairing it. Some are, but most aren't. Okay, because they're treating the end result. They're treating the POTS. They're treating the syndrome. They're not treating what's keeping you ill. So, next page on page 8 is a picture of a neuron. It looks a little complicated, but actually it's a cutaway where you see the cell itself, okay, and you see the uh, myelin sheath, okay, which is the axon which goes down to where it communicates with another nerve. Okay, and we're going to concentrate a little bit today on the cell wall itself and the myelin sheath. <clears throat> the myelin sheath, you can think of it like this. It's a fatty sheath that goes around the axon of the nerve. Think of it as a coaxial cable, okay, the cable that goes in the back of your TV uh, for cable TV. You notice it's got this little, little wire and this big, thick covering. Anybody want to know why? It's so you don't lose so much signal, okay? We have two basic types of nerves. We have A fibers and C fibers. The A fibers are heavily myelinated, and the C fibers, not so much, okay? So the signal will travel faster down the A fiber, being that it's heavily myelinated, and not so fast down the C fiber. Here's an interesting tidbit for you. The A fibers carry light pain, whereas the C fibers carry heavy pain, okay, or deep pain. So we've all stuck our hand in hot water, and boom, you pull your hand right back because you feel the sting. That's carried by the A fiber, but exactly three seconds later, you go, ow! That's the deep pain that was carried by the C fiber, the lack of myelination, okay? When the myelin sheath starts getting sclerotic, we call that multiple sclerosis, okay? A lot of miscommunication going on. Okay, the myelin sheath is a fatty sheath. Guess what you need to rebuild that? Okay, and the cell wall, well, we're about to look at the cell wall. Remember, the cell wall is a semi-permeable membrane. Let's go to the next page, and here we're talking about action potentials. But don't get nuts with this, okay? This is a nerve 
at a resting state. Okay, it's actually number four there is negative 70 microvolts. So what I want to point out here is there's that phospholipid bilayer again, the, two, the yellow things. Okay, they've got the outside and the inside. On the outside, there's mostly sodiums. On the inside, there are potassiums. Okay, and when they exchange places, that's what a nerve impulse is. Okay, if we go to the next page, okay, the propagation of an action potential means the transmission of a nerve impulse. So what happens? At one end, a neurotransmitter hits a receptor and sets off a series of events that cause the sodium to enter the cell through those little channels, okay? And that's the charge, okay? And it starts depolarizing the area, the nerve. And that depolarization goes in a wave. After the wave passes, it repolarizes something called a sodium-potassium pump. We'll throw that sodium out there, pull the potassiums back in, okay, and put it right back at that resting action potential. So if you're kind of technically minded, the charge spreads down the membrane downstream, and the depolarization wave continues along with it, okay? And these vaulted-gated channels, okay, which are the little green things, kind of open up in response to the depolarization, and that's how we get all those sodiums in there. And, you know, the body usually takes care of it. But this is because we have a semi-permeable membrane. In other words, this is supposed to happen, and we've developed mechanisms, active transport mechanisms, to actively take the sodium from inside the cell and bring it out, take the potassium from the outside of the cell and bring it in. Okay, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That presumes a well-functioning cell wall, okay? And if we go to the next page, page 11, we're not talking about a nerve. In order for you to function, there are neural networks, okay, which are the coordinated firing of neurons to create actions based on optimally functioning cells. So things happen in tandem. They happen together. They happen in waves. And it all depends on a well-built functioning cell wall, okay? But what happens, page 12, when the cells get leaky? Remember the leaky gut? And here we have the same idea where you have a healthy cell wall. But when it starts getting leaky, what's supposed to be inside can easily get out. What's supposed to be outside can easily get in. And, gee, what do you think happens, okay, when you have leaky brain cells on page 13? The brain, the neural cells will depolarize without stimulation, causing things like uncoordinated firing patterns, misfiring, poor signaling, with untoward results like mood swings, depression, excitation, things like anxiety, OCD, ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder. I know I'm talking in... Um, syndromes again, paranoia, hallucinations, maybe even the receptors might malfunction from desensitization, hmm, overuse of cofactors, possibly resulting in dysautonomia symptoms if you're talking about uh, receptors in the autonomic nervous system. I know I've been getting a lot of hits about that, but gee, the people who I'm treating are actually getting better. I don't know if I could stand the strain. On page 14, I found this great graphic about neurotransmitters. Looks like it was done by a little kid. Probably was. Okay, it's from the Brain Geek. 
Okay, you see the, uh, the connection there. Here basically it tells you what a neurotransmitter is. It's a chemical that takes the message from one end, the axon, to the dendrite, which is with a presynaptic neuron to the postsynaptic neuron. Okay, and basically what it does, you see the little star at the end where number two is, number three, and then it goes, hits number four, which is the receptor, which basically opens up a wave and a new action potential is set off and it just continues the message on the way down, okay? Neurotransmitters are exactly that, chemicals that transmit neurological signals. You know them as things like serotonin, taurotorin, well, that's a neuromodulator, epinephrine, adrenaline, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, dopamine, glutamate, phenylephalamine, and GABA are the basic ones, okay? They all have different actions and different receptors, okay? But this is the basic thing that they do. So neurotransmitters are necessary, and if you don't have enough of them, you start getting poor signaling and you get symptoms, okay? And then we get into whether we should be building them with amino acids or they should, you should be taking medicine to present, prevent some of the reuptake, and that's a, that's a discussion for another time. Now, page 15, the brain wall. Okay, this is where the meat of this lecture is. The brain wall <clears throat> is my creation. It's my creation. Okay, but it was digitalized and created by my son, Jesse, who is a great graphic artist. We're going to go through this piece by piece because I chopped it up. Okay, and what this can do is you'll get an understanding here of different symptoms and what neurotransmitters are imbalanced, okay? And it's kind of a, it's a great way to learn how the brain functions uh, with and without certain neurotransmitters. And you can kind of listen to somebody and say, gee, you sound like you have a serotonin imbalance, or gee, you sound like you have a dopamine imbalance, okay? And I have this particular um, graphic on my wall. Uh, it takes up most of my wall because I got the biggest one, of course. Okay. <laughs> and let's go through it. I think you'll find it fascinating. Let's hope you will. On page 16, we're going to start with the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is in the front of the brain, and it is a place where ADD lives. The prefrontal cortex grows until you're age 25. It is the area where you have attention, judgment, impulse control, critical thinking, empathy, emotional awareness. When it's dysfunctional, you have distractibility, impulsivity, poor judgment, laziness, tardiness, lack of forethought, and let's face it, everything one calls a teenager. Everybody remembers Bill Cosby's um, skit about his son when he came home with the reverse mohawk, and he looked at his son and he said, did you have your head with you the whole day? Yes. Why did you get the haircut? I don't know. And that's exactly what a teenager will do. They don't have any, or they have very little judgment or impulse control. And that's because the prefrontal cortex hasn't finished forming, okay? Dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine are the primary neurotransmitters in this area. On page 17, we're talking about the anterior cingulate, which is on kind of the top of the brain. And OCD tends to live here. Okay, this area is your gear shifter, your ability to be flexible and be adaptable, okay, and going with the flow. 
So if there's a lot of stubbornness, holding grudges, obsessions, obsessions, compulsions, addictions, PMS, road rage, being oppositional or argumentative, this may be an area of a problem. And serotonin is the neurotransmitter that kind of hangs out or is the master of this area. On page 18, we're talking about the basal ganglia. You know, you can take neuroanatomy, but if you think of it in a graphic form and an overview, you can learn more about the brain's function than just exactly where everything is. For, you know, if you're treating somebody, it's important to know the exactitudes, but if you want to understand it, this is the best way to, this is the best way to go. People, this is where anxiety lives. There's a left and right basal ganglia. When there's left basal ganglia dysfunction, you have more external anxiety, like yelling, screaming, and sometimes homicidal thinking. When you have right uh, basal ganglia dysfunction, okay, it's more internalized. This is where you have, you feel the depression inside of you, okay? And this gives you panic attacks, conflict avoidance, tremors, very tense neck and shoulders, okay? And GABA is the primary neurotransmitter that runs this area. Now, let's talk a little bit about GABA because I'm forever prescribing GABA for somebody. Gamma-aminobutyric acid is the brain's way of calming down. It's what literally chills you out. If you have enough, you can calm and you can sleep. Okay, if you don't have enough, anxiety, insomnia, insomnia or tremors, many other things also. Things that raise GABA, alcohol, benzodiazepines, marijuana, okay, but they don't actually supply the body with GABA. What they do is they hook onto that A receptor or alpha receptor, okay, and kind of, if you will, open up the gates so GABA can be released. Problem with the alpha receptor, it's very much like that McDonald's off the highway, fast on and fast off. So if you have a normal nervous system and, you know, you're going through, you're having a bad day, Okay, somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know, you get home, your spouse is yelling at you, the kids are really getting on your nerves, and you start getting anxious, 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 and you just sit there and say, all right, everybody, sit down. I'm going to have a glass of wine. Okay? So you have a glass of wine, you sit down, you chill out. All of a sudden, the GABA gets released. You go, <gasps> and you get reset. Okay, and that's fine. But if you have an excited nervous system because of yeast, because of Lyme, because of toxicities, because of food allergies, because of bacteria, because of autoimmune disease, and yada, 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 yada. Well, guess what? You're always going to be in that high anxious state. So when you take a GABAergic agent, something like alcohol, benzodiazepines, okay, it will raise GABA for a short period of time, okay? Your symptoms will decrease, but they'll go right back up. And that's one of the mechanisms of addiction because you have to keep utilizing the substance in order to get the relaxation. And there's a lot, there's a lot to do with addictions. I treat a lot of addicted patients. Okay, and this is just one, one aspect. Uh, there are forms of GABA out there that you can actually supply your body with GABA and mimics natural GABA, and it's not addictive, and it works very, very well. Now, I usually don't put the names of products on here, but this is really important and there's been a lot of confusion. There's lots of GABAs out there. Oh, my God, my Brooklyn accent just came out. Okay, there's lots of GABAs out there. 
But in order for it to be effective, it must cross the blood-brain barrier. In order to do that, it has to be phenylated. A phenylated GABA is also known as phenibut. Now, if you go out there, you, you read about phenibutes, everybody's been calling me saying, oh, this is going to hurt me, but uh, most phenibutes out there are beta-phenyl gamma aminobutyric acids, okay? And those have been associated with withdrawal problems. Yes, they have. But there's another form out there that I tend to use, and it's the 4-amino-3 phenylbutyric acid. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you a test, which also easily crosses the blood-brain barrier and is not associated with those problems, and I've been using them for years with a lot of success. The two easily obtainable products in the United States are Cavanase and the chewable form from neuroscience and phenotropic by biotics. Okay. Now, I apologize for, for taking the step and giving you the products, but people are buying other GABAs that don't work. Okay. As a matter of fact, if you buy some other kind of GABA like PharmaGABA or just the word GABA and it is working, that's positive evidence of a leaky blood-brain barrier. You're not, well, you might, you're doing yourself a favor at the moment, but it's not really helping. Okay. So I just wanted you to know that there are forms that will raise GABA for five or six or seven hours, and many people have used this, have had better sleep, have had control over their anxiety states, especially while we're in the process of figuring out why there is neurotransmitter imbalances, correcting them, and correcting the root causes. Let us continue. We're talking about the thalamic limbic system. This is where depression lives, people, okay? In this area... This is your emotional filter. You have a part of your brain that when you have an experience, you tag an importance to it. Okay, this is where that happens. This is where all your charged emotions, when you think about it, this is where your libido hangs out. This is very close to the nasal cribriform plate so that when you have smells that create emotions, okay, this is where it happens, okay? It also works with your sleep cycles and your uh, appetite. So when it's dysfunctional, you can have depression, you can have decreased sex drive, social isolation, increased negative thinking, and gee, serotonin is the primary guy here, okay? The temporal lobe, which is the base of the brain, real important area. Okay, you have a left and right temporal lobe, and on the left side is more your executive, uh, not executive, but your uh, left-braining, your short-term memory, long-term memory, auditory learning. The right side is more artsy, the facial recognition, decoding, vocal inflections. When it's dysfunctional on the left, there's a lot of aggression and fighting, sensitive to slights, that kind of stuff. Now, I think it's kind of a given that if a child is being abused in childhood, it tends to be an aggressive person when they grow up. One of it is, part of it is emotional, but some of it is physical because most parents are right-handed, so when they hit the kid, quite, quite frankly, upside the head, they're hitting them on the left side of the head, causing left temporal lobe dysfunction, okay? And if you have right temporal lobe dysfunction, um, you're going to really have difficulties, Okay, difficulties with faces, decoding voices, and so forth. This is also the area where memory hangs out, okay, and 
when you have memory problems, some of the things you want to think of is uh, ginkgo biloba, acetylcholine, dopamine. This is where bipolar disorder lives, and generally speaking, you use GABA or uh, anticonvulsants with um, bipolar disorder, and this is also where psychosis lives. And psychosis is a rather serious problem that um, requires professional intervention, um, should not be treated uh, except with um, the input by a, a well-trained uh, healthcare provider. Okay, so balance is the key. You have excitatory neurotransmitters and inhibitory neurotransmitters, okay? Think of it this way. The excitatory neurotransmitters are the things that wake you up and give you focus, things like epinephrine. So when the epinephrine's hot, normal, you feel good. When it's high, you can have trouble sleeping, anxiety, tremors, maybe hypertension. When it's low, fatigue, lowered focus, easy to gain weight. Norepinephrine, again, noradrenaline. When it's high, anxiety, irritability, this is the person who likes to cut in line, feels like they've had too much caffeine, they're tremoring. When they're low, when it's low, low energy, low focus, low motivation, okay, low mood. Dopamine. Dopamine is a funny neurotransmitter, and I mean funny, strange, not funny, haha. Dopamine is your satiety neurotransmitter, okay? When you eat a good meal and you go, that's dopamine. If you're a smoker and you have that first drag of a cigarette in the morning, oh, yeah, that's dopamine, okay? When dopamine is low, when it's very, very low, that's you can get Parkinson's. But when it's low, you can get a condition that's called a hedonism or a lack of joy. This is a very, this looks very much like a very serious depression. And the difference between, in my opinion, the difference between this kind of depression and the depression you usually see from low serotonin is that um, when, you sit, when somebody's depressed and uh, if you can distract them, take them to a movie, take them out to dinner, they'll usually giggle for a while. And when they get back to the situation, the, the, the depression may, may reassert itself. But if somebody just simply doesn't want to do anything, they, nothing gives them joy any longer. Okay, you have to consider low dopamine. On the other hand, if dopamine is somewhat high, okay, you're entering into the world of paranoia. And I like to think of it as, as uh, Dr. Elizabeth Stuller used to say, um, who's one of the most brilliant uh, integrative psychiatrists on the planet, okay, she would say the pleasant paranoia. Okay, you know, the kind of paranoia where, you know, I think my girlfriends are talking about me, I think my friends, you know, I think I may have left something on, you know, just, just kind of being on edge. Not the kind of paranoia where you, you know, you clean out, you, you go into the grocery store and clear out all the aluminum foil, you know, so you can put it around your house and around your head so the CIA can't catch what you're thinking. Okay, that's a different kind of paranoia. And when you go really high on the dopamine, okay, you start talking about psychosis and hallucinations. I'll give you an example. Uh, in a lab I tend to use, high dopamine would be over 200, okay? So when we get into the 250, 300 range, you're probably talking about paranoia. When you're talking about the 350, 400 range, you're getting into the hallucination range. So most of my psychotic patients have dopamines in the 350, 400 range. All, and I do mean all of my autistic children, have dopamines in the 600 range. Give you any idea what's going on there? Okay, so high dopamine, rewards, psychosis, cell death, cravings, developmental delay, okay, poor intestinal function also. Glutamate, 
glutamate, which is a um, product of glutamine in the gut, when it's high, it can be pretty nasty, okay? It can cause, cause cell death, brain damage, and seizures. So when I see a very high dopamine, I'm looking to bring it down because that's a major reason for excitation in the brain. PEA or phenylethylamine, okay? When it's high, that's when you get somebody whose mind is really running and has a lot of anxiety. But when it's low, okay, this is the low focus, low attention. In fact, people, a true ADD person has either low phenylethylamine or low norepinephrine. And that's why when they, when they give them the medicines on this kind of person, it works very well. Okay, now I'm not recommending the medicines, I'm just saying why. When you have the old ADHD, the hyperactivity disorder, okay, those people have attention deficit because their mind is moving so fast that they have the attention span of a gnat. Two different pathologies. And that's why some people, you give them the medicine and it looks great. Sometimes you give them the medicine, blows the back of their head off. Okay? The inhibitory neurotransmitters. We're familiar with serotonin because we've heard about it so much. If it's low, you can have anxiety, insomnia, depression, uncontrolled appetite, usually for sugars or carbs. As a matter of fact, it's one of the mechanisms of compulsive overeating, especially if you're after carbs because you're looking for a serotonin blast. Headaches, and believe it or not, unexplained gastrointestinal symptoms. And the reason for that is that serotonin is the major neurotransmitter of the enteric nervous system. That is the nervous system of your gut. So sometimes when I'm working with somebody's serotonin, a lot of their GI problems go away. On the other hand, if serotonin is very, very high, you can have hot flashes, road rage, irritability. And let me put a, um, a rumor to bed right now. You cannot get serotonin syndrome by taking amino acids like 5-hydroxytryptophan. You cannot get serotonin syndrome. The entirety of the literature shows that the only way you can get serotonin syndrome, which is a very dangerous situation, is by the overuse or the injudicious use of serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Okay? When your body does not need the amino acid to create, the amino acid 5-hydroxytryptophan, to create serotonin, it's released in circulation and turned into glucose by a process called gluconeogenesis. Okay, you're not going to get serotonin syndrome, so don't worry about it. Uh, 5-HIA is just a breakdown product, and taurine, the reason I put it in there is an inhibitory neuromodulator, but guess where you find a lot of taurine? Red Bull, Monster Drinks, and so forth. And if it's high, you can see that taurine will give you insomnia and hyperactivity. Do you know why they put taurine in Monster Drinks and Red Bull? You're going to love this. They're giving you stuff to make your heart beat real fast, to give you energy, so to speak. Taurine in high doses acts like lidocaine. Lidocaine is an antiarrhythmia drug. So they're hedging their bet by giving you a ton of taurine to protect your heart, but they're making your head be hyperactive. Okay, kind of weird, but very corporate, very corporate. Okay? Next page, if you're looking for the... Uh, brain wool, if you're looking to uh, get that for yourself, uh, it, is, um, it is copyrighted by my son, and if you go to Zazzle, 
and search. Go to Zazzle.com and just put in the brain wall. It'll take you right to the page, and it's got different sizes and so forth. This is, an, this is my son's Father's Day gift to me. Okay, He, let, he put House Armine. It was our, our, the uh, sigil of our house. And he said he thought about it for about three weeks, and he said, when it concerns you, Dad, heal the sick, feed the hungry, shelter the weak, shelter the weary, and defend the weak. And, of course, I am a bear. So um, I just I cried when I saw this. I thought this was great, you know. So anyway, that is a little bit of neuroscience to uh, get you going. And uh, remember that if you have any neurophysiological or neuropsychiatric syndromes that are poorly controlled with medicines or you don't want to be taking medicines, um, it would be time to talk to myself or Sean or Cynthia Smith. And our contact information is right there. Okay, you can call our number. You can fill out the contact form. Uh, being that it's summer, we have some openings, but it's filling up cr like crazy. So uh, if you're thinking about consulting with us, I really suggest you call quickly. Uh, some of us offer in a complimentary 15-minute Get Acquainted session. And the purpose of that session is not to treat you, but so we can have a conversation and we can mutually decide whether... Um, like for myself, whether I can help you or not. I like, I like to do that so that you don't spend money uh, inappropriately. So at this time, I would like to open up for questions. Okay, I see a few people hanging out, so I'm going to go to the boards. Hi, nice person in the 732 area code. Are you there? Hi, Dr. Oman. It's Kathy McFarland. How are you? Hi, Kathy. How are you? Okay, I have a question. I had a tilt table test done for dysautonomia, mm -hmm. and during that uh, tilt table test, um, they drew blood levels, mm -hmm. and my serotonin was low, and I think my dopamine might have been low. Do you do it in the blood, or do you send it to a special lab? I send. It, I I do it in the urine. Okay. okay, and um, I, I do send it to a special lab. Okay. Remember that what you're reading in the blood and what you're reading in the urine is a combination mm -hmm. of central nervous system and peripheral nervous system. Mm -hmm. And in the hands of somebody who is um, used to reading the, reading the reports and correlating it with your clinical condition, you know, you can make a very good assessment of what the neurotransmitter balance or imbalance happens to be. It's important to realize that you can't get central nervous system um, neurotransmitters unless you do a, a spinal tap, which is dangerous as heck, you know, yeah, and that's, yeah, I, I can dig it. And uh, frankly, uh, when you take a good history of somebody and you get information like that, okay, you can come up with a treatment plan that's rather, rather um, easily administered and usually very successful because if you rebalance, if you give the body what it needs, it will rebalance the neurotransmitters and mm -hmm. because that's the way you're hardwired, okay? It's, it's going back to basics again, plus making sure the cell walls are, you know, shored up and so forth and so on, okay? So if, if your serotonin is low, that can cause me to have the, the, the cravings, the carbs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I need to get that tested. And also, I wanted to ask you, about 15 years ago, I saw a lupus specialist, a world-renowned one, Dr. Robert Lahid in New York, and he tested my myelin sheath antibodies, and mm -hmm. they were high. 
He's the only person. Mm-hmm. He was a researcher, for, and he, you know, did lupus. And I went to the Mayo Clinic like five years later. They looked at it like they didn't even know what the heck it was. I was never <laughs> tested again. Is it like a test that should be done? Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, Kathy, you're asking really great questions tonight, and I appreciate it. Um, the answer is yes and no. Okay, and I'll tell, I'll tell you why yes. Yes, because it'll tell you that there's things attacking the myelin sheath, and no, because what do you do about it? And uh, usually the reason is generalized inflammation. Now, okay. if, you, if you spent your uh, time and effort in going after all the factors that can cause inflammation and trying mm-hmm. to correct them, for the most part, and I'm talking about a good like 90, 95% of the time, a lot of these, a lot of these upregulated uh, antibodies would go away. Okay. Okay. And I've seen that clinically time after time after time after time. So, uh, if you've been sick for a long time and you've had loads of tests, mm-hmm. but you haven't attended to like the gut and all these different things that we've been talking about, uh, remember that not only is this usually the reason why you're not getting better, Mm -hmm. by virtue of the fact that it hasn't been been tried and hasn't been treated, it's also not expensive, and it's very low risk, if any risk, and guess what? People get better. And if, you know, even even if you argued that you didn't get better, you know, no harm, no foul, because by this time, by the time people see me, they've tried everything like, like yep. crazy, okay? So um, that's where I, that's I, where I would... Uh, thank you, dear. I'll talk to you later, okay? okay? Thank, you. thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, someone has t- uh, said it's important to heal and, and seal the gut before working on methylation or other genetic refect, uh, defects or... Does addressing the genetics heal the uh, GI? Well, that's just a really good uh, question. Uh, I think all the practitioners that I know would say that it's important to seal and heal the gut before working on the methylation. Uh, you can think of it this way. If the traffic in the pathways is high because of dysbiosis or all the immune upregulation that's coming from the gut, you can methylate or, or try and open up the pathways as much as you want. It's just going to crash again, okay? So it is a clinical decision, but generally speaking, you know, we, uh, we and not me, I don't, I'm not saying the royal we, but the people who practice this tend to go after healing the gut and decreasing inflammation before working on methylation. And to be perfectly frank, a lot of times when you go about it that way, uh, those pathways open up on their own, and very little, if any, support is needed. Okay. Nice person in the 623 area code. Are you there? Yes, this is John. How are you? Hi, John. What can I do for you, my friend? I appreciate the uh, explanation between the uh, low focus, low energy, low motivation, low mood, differentiating between that and depression. I think that kind of cleared up an area for me. I'm glad. It's so, an overview, but it's a it's just a clinical pearl or a hint. No, I think I think um, I was tending to confuse the two, and I uh, I can uh, have something to think about now. Oh, wonderful. Um, I uh, I got a, a Sterling report. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the question I have is that I have a red. Um, 
MAO. Um, okay. And a couple yellow COMT. And you said balance is the key? Mm-hmm. So when you, you do the urine test, and this is like a compound question. Sorry about that. Sure. That's okay. I'm used to it. Are you measuring... <laughs> Are you measuring the uh, the neuro uh, the hormones, the neurotransmitters, or are you measuring? Of course, you're not measuring what's in the synapse. So, well, between, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I want to I want to listen so I can so, receive your question. I mean, correctly. how do you? Um, because if you have a like a uh, a blockage in the genes, how do you treat that as far as okay. wondering where the serotonin level is and norepinephrine? Right. John, let, let me other. answer your question. Because I think I know what you're asking. Uh, it, is a, okay. it is a compound question. So um, because you have a heterozygous uh, COMT and homozygous MAOA, which is also known as the warrior gene, we know that the, um, the enzymes that are breaking down your excitatory neurotransmitters are not working at their peak efficiency. So there will be a tendency to have a backup, if you will, of the excitatory neurotransmitters. Now, on, that's on one end. So what can be done with that uh, are perhaps uh, making sure that you have a sufficient number of cofactors that are, enter into that particular reaction so that the the enzymes that are produced by the genes are working at their peak efficiency, even though it may not be 100%, but are working at their peak efficiency. Now, on the other end, okay, it, it, you get a backup when there is a lot of traffic or a lot of, I'm sorry, excitatory neurotransmitters being produced for lots of different reasons, okay? And on that end, what can be done is to look at the root cause of why there's a lot of excitatory neurotransmitters being pumped out. Let's say things like Lyme or food allergies or viruses or autoimmune diseases or toxicity. That would all cause the body to pump out a lot of excitatory neurotransmitters. That's the reaction to it. You can be talking about histamine. Histamine is excitatory. Okay. Uh, Nicotine's excitatory. Uh, think of Sherlock Holmes used to keep himself awake like that. Okay, so um, the method in treating something like that is exactly what I said. Start looking for the root causes and start trying to treat the downstream effects. Now, when you take a neurotransmitter test of whatever ilk, you have to be well experienced in looking at the test. It's not just a matter of looking at the test. If you've read 10,000 tests and you've treated a load of people, okay, you know what the patterns mean. Okay, you know what the patterns mean in somebody's clinical condition, okay? Yes, it's not overly exacting. It's not completely exact, but nothing is. Okay, don't be fooled. Nothing is. So if you have somebody with... Um, very high dopamine, very high epinephrine, very high norepinephrine, okay, uh, glutamate off the charts, and low serotonin, low GABA, <clears throat> you're probably looking at an immune problem, 
Okay, so that's going to give me a hint that I should start looking for some kind of microorganism or something that's stimulating that system. If I find somebody who has, um, like you said, your CMT, COMT and MAO in that particular condition, I'm going to now look for the behaviors that may be associated with that. And depending on your GAD SNPs and other things, you may be expressing as anxiety, you may express as depression. You may express in a whole mess of different ways. But I do know that the neurotransmitters, okay, are what, how you express it. That's what, that's the, that's where your feelings come from. So depending on the individual, I might want to raise serotonin slowly. It will bring the GABA up very quickly, okay, using some of the products to help the body rebalance or compensate for the excitation, okay. Um, usually the reason the serotonin, in that case, the reasons for the serotonin being low and the GABA being low is because there's so much excitation going on that the body can't rebalance. It just doesn't have enough anymore. So if you give it what it needs, it will rebalance. You can stabilize the person, give them a little bit of homeostasis while you're going after the root cause. Okay, This is where the art of what I do or what we do in bioindividualized medicine comes in. Okay, You have to know the uh, neurology, endocrinology, immunology, the NEI paradigm okay, and how they interact. You need to know how the epigenetics contri contribute, and it's usually pointers. Okay, and you have to have a bunch of experience to be able to say, hey, this expression, that expression means this, this, and this. Hey, I'm looking at this pathway, and I might want to consider that. You can't, it's not an algorithm. You can't say this causes that and just treat it. You have to look at the person as an individual, and it can get a little hairy at times, but if you back up and look at it like that, it becomes rather easy to see the patterns. Okay, am I answering your question? Yes, you are. I just... Um, it's uh, not an easy question. I had a, to another question, but we have some more people, so I'll just get off the line. All right. So, well, you take care then, okay? Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Nice person in the 661 area code. Hello, Dr. Online. This is Barbara. Hi, Barbara. And I wanted to go back to, hi. I wanted to go back to the leaky gut, leaky brain that you were talking sure. about. Is there something that would show on the 23andMe that you've got that, or is that a different lab test that you should be doing? Okay. I'm really happy. You treat that Barbara, first? I'm really happy to ask that question, okay? Uh, I'm going to answer it in this way, and, and um, please um, don't take offense at what I'm saying, okay? Um, okay? I'm glad you answered. you asked the question because you said, is there something on the 23andMe that says I have it? Um, and the answer is there is something on the 23andMe that says you might have a tendency toward it. It's the SHMT, um, SHMT gene, okay? Uh, that's your leaky gut gene, so to speak, okay? That doesn't mean you have leaky gut. See, anything you see in the epigenetics does not mean you have it. It means that you have a tendency, you have a higher tendency than the person sitting next to you to have it. In answer to your question about leaky gut, Yes, there are lots of tests you can do, okay? Uh, and some of them can be confusing. And some of them, you know, you can do 10 tests and get yourself really discombobulated. Fact is, Barbara, that if you have any kind of chronic disease at all for any length of time, you can almost guarantee you've got some degree of leaky gut. 
and you can almost guarantee that you have some degree of mitochondrial dysfunction, okay, whether it's significant, you know, and if you have a lot of allergies or you have a lot of histamine or you have a lot of things that would reasonably come from a leaky gut syndrome, you could do it on history and be pretty well accurate. But there are tests, okay? Um, there's lots of literature out there that prove that leaky gut syndrome can, you know, cause all kinds of immune dysfunction, all kinds of body dysfunction. But the genes point for you rather than to say you have this, okay? And I mean this with all love and respect here, okay? I've been trying to get this through doctors' heads, and with them I'm not so nice. I just take a bat and start swinging, okay? <laughs> but, hey, you don't, know, you don't know me in the lecture circuit, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, have very little, I have very little patience with um, haughtiness and um, what can I say? But yeah, you, you asked the yes. Thank you so much. I didn't want to put it that way, but I appreciate you saying the word. Um, ego means that you don't want to learn because you think you know everything. Okay, once you say that, it's time for all your patients to leave. Okay, <laughs> because yes, they're with a dangerous person. But you asked the exact right question. Uh, the SHMT gene is one of the genes you can look at and says, hmm. That kind of points at uh, I might have leaky gut. And if you look at the IgE, IgA, IgG, if you see a lot of in that whole allergy area, the couple of pages, if you see a bunch of reds and yellows, I would look at you and say, boy, you're an allergenic girl. You're going to produce, and, and this, is an, this is not exacting. It is a tendency to be more allergenic. So I see that. I see the leaky gut gene. And then I see, hmm, look at that COMT and MAOA. I'm like, hmm. Hmm. And she's having XX and X. I take I take a history and find out, boy, she had some, you know, she had some gut problems and then she started getting, you know, cognitive difficulties and you see this big long line and you go way back and you see that it all started with the gut and may have may have started with several infections that had to take antibiotics and so forth. And then at the time, especially at our in our age group, nobody knew about probiotics. Okay, and even now people think, well, we'll take you know a yogurt and we'll be fine. You know, I went to see my doctor last week. So take a yogurt. I said said a few choice words to him, but you know it's okay. He just passed me on the head. He's a lot older than I am. You know, I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, it's like, all right, just good, 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 good. Pass me on the head. Walks out the door. You know, but nevertheless. the leaky gut is almost a good presumption to make. And remember, the way you treat it, okay, is is low or no risk, and the probability of benefit is very high. So most of the time, the gut's involved. And if you're treat, treating a leaky gut, you're treating the cells. So by, by default, you're treating all the leaky cells in the body, which is kind of cool. Okay, so... You're saying Go ahead. probiotics, but are you, do you recommend prebiotics as well then? Or? Part of, well, if you, uh, if you um, look at my archives, I did an entire podcast on leaky gut syndrome and talked about how to treat it. Okay, wow. Pre-bio- prebiotics are uh, the fibers that we're always talking about to create mucus because that's what the biota eat. Okay, and there's never enough in your probiotic. You have to take it separately. Okay. Oh, 90 All right. Well, wonderful. Okay. I will definitely listen to your leaky gut 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Terry. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wait. Here it is. Person in the 920 area code. Okay. Mm. Nice person in the 716 area code. Hello, Dr. Armine. It's Lysandra. Pana Pana. Hi, Lysandra. How are you? Hi. I um, want to say, I don't necessarily have a question, but I want to say how happy I am with GABA. Amazed at uh, how GABA worked for me. I have tried everything my doctors have suggested uh, amitriptyline, which um, always seemed to make me excited. So at night, what I thought was supposed to put me to sleep actually had me stay awake all night. I didn't get any sleep. Um, I stopped trying almost everything because, of course, doctors would only suggest um, a prescription. And I tried GABA and fell asleep instantly after about a half an hour and slept the whole night, 10 hours. I have not slept 10 hours in years, years. Wonderful. And I'm amazed. Wonderful. And I just wanted to know, um, do people take GABA throughout the day? And, um, they can. Because it works so well for me for night, I was wondering, um, I, I noticed on the bottle it said you can take it throughout the day. And, and I was just if you have a lot of people... excitation during the day, or um, the only thing that I would suggest during the day is you take a lesser dosage. So if you take two or three at night, take one like every six hours during the day. See how that does for you. Okay, once we get you um, rebalanced, you're going to need a lot less of it because well, as your gut heals, then the glutamine that you put into your body, the L-glutamine, will produce GABA and glutamate Okay, in, in the proper ratio. Okay, so right now, like we discussed earlier today, that my sainted Nana said, if you poop and you sleep, you're going to heal, right? And what, ha- <laughs> what happened as you slept? What happened with your thyroid numbers and your temperatures at- after you slept? My temperatures went up, and literally the next morning, my depression lifted. Now, I never felt like I was, I don't have any reason to be depressed, but no, you have I always just depression. felt... Yes, exactly. And the next morning, I actually smiled. I actually had more energy. I was just—I almost felt like the depression kind of lifted, mm-hmm. and it was—it was amazing. I am so pleased with this GABA. I am extremely I'm, I'm pleased. I couldn't believe it. I'm yeah, I'm glad yeah. that you are. And remember that, you know, sometimes the basic stuff. That's why I want to bring people back to basics because. Think of all the things that you have, and I won't mention them on the air, of course, but think of all the things you have that could be treated, that would be treated separately. And what you really need is to sleep, to reestablish your cell wall integrity, to rebalance, to let your body get, get it back to where it can take care of itself. And that's where we're going to head, you know? So awesome. I, appreciate you bringing that, I appreciate you bringing that out. Thanks so much, Lysandra. Take care. Okay? Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Everybody, thank you so much for today. I hope um, you know I imparted some stuff about the neuro- about the neurological system. But if you take that brain wall and start thinking about it, chew on it for a little while, uh, you're going to see that you'll see a lot of yourself in there. Uh, do not use it as an absolute, like anything else. It's just pointers, but it's pretty damn accurate. Okay, and it will give you an idea that 
neurotransmitter imbalances, okay, can cause all these different things. And frankly, they're not all that hard to fix, okay, especially in the hands of a practitioner that's experienced and knows what they're doing, okay? So I hope to see you all next week. I am very, very happy you joined me tonight. And thank you for everybody who called in and asked questions. And um, you guys have a good week. Thanks so much. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here But I can feel the change in the right now Change is coming, people. People are getting better when they're told that they just have to live with what they have. It doesn't have to be. I know you guys are so much Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.